We need a podcade. We need a podcast. People, it. so I would like listen to pod podcasts during the pandemic, and they would have like they'd be in their what do you call it? You know, the cupboard <laughs> where you put the clothes in. Closet. 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 <laughs> <laughs> they would be in their closet. Yes, with blankets over top of them, like to dampen the sound. Actually, <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, but people were doing that. I, I don't. I don't know about that. But what I do know about is that it's podcast time. Hi, Bex. Hey, Mike. How's it? I'm good. Um, just up front, this episode is totally safe for work. So if you're listening to it, you know, outside on the, you know, everyone's listening to it, It's there's no weird, crass stuff. Just saying up front. Yeah. The title's a bit raunchy, but the content is mostly wholesome. All right. So, Bex, what are your thoughts on OnlyFans? <laughs> OnlyFans. Wow, Mike. To be honest, I might have to consider giving it a go myself to pay off my student loan. I mean, bye crikey, $60,000. But we've been talking about this. Wow, it's a lot of money. Um, <laughs> we've been talking about OnlyFans like constantly. It feels like every weekend, every week on the pod, even though we're not a sex podcast, but we seem to be talking about it every week. Um, now we're actually going to sort of chat about it in reasonable depth today like did you um, did you know about this before you know we started talking about this um so it really came to my attention last year during the first lockdown um where it became more known as basically a site for porn services um because obviously there's other like content that's on there that you can subscribe to but um that's what we know as today and that became popular because of adult entertainers or porn models or actresses or whatever they like to identify as um using that as an option instead um and you know i think good on them if that's how they want to make their income um if that's what they feel comfortable with and they enjoy it then go for it you you haven't had i mean or maybe you do i don't know like what what there is sort of there's been a long sort of debate around feminism and feminism and, and pornography and this sort of thing and we're going to touch on a little bit later on but i just thought maybe you'd want to give us a little bit of a sort of heads up about what you think something up front yeah i mean um it's going to be great to talk to our guest about this some more and get another perspective but for me i i do tend to see only fans and that kind of stuff is a little bit different to the mainstream porn industry and i guess it's like that if you look at anything that's really mainstream and corporate um, where there's a lot of power and control over other people, there's going to be issues um, with that. So um, porn industry, we all know some of the unethical practices that take place. Um, OnlyFans and other platforms that we're going to talk about in this episode, um, I think that's a little bit different, Mike. I think so too. And, you know, one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to somebody um, about this is, I don't know, like that, the thing that makes OnlyFans really different from other sort of avenues of pornography is um, authenticity. Do you know what I mean? And it's a little bit different. So, I mean, hooking up this show today is actually really cool for me because I get to sort of, we get to chat about those sort of things that I, I have been wondering about for a long time and just be like, oh yeah, I'd never thought about this, but have you done these things or whatever? You know, it's pretty cool for us. Awesome. So who do we have on and where did you find this guest? 
Yeah, she's she's pretty cool. Um, I found her on the subreddit. I was actually looking up. Um, yeah, what were you so... looking up, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, this actually ties into part two. Oh, by the way, this is part one of a, of a two part series. Yeah. Um, I was we talked about this the other week, cummies and cum rockets. <laughs> so I was I was I was perusing that's that's the word isn't it quote unquote researching <laughs> as mike likes to call it <laughs> i was <laughs> okay all right sure jan <laughs> anyway so i was so i was on like some crypto with there's like a thing i don't know just looking at like top shit coins or something and this we, we did do this before in a past episode but anyway um i was on the subreddit for cum rockets and i saw that there was this like quite prolific poster and i was like huh i wonder what her story is clicked on the thing read some of what she's been posted and i was like oh my goodness so she's like she does porn and she's like into nfts and crypto this is going to be like the best thing ever so that's where i found her it's not i'm not yeah yeah You'll dig, you'll dig yourself into a deeper hole. So just okay. So her name's Michelle Hart. Michelle is an online adult entertainer, a cosplay model, and a performer on adult cryptocurrency platforms, which Mike was just alluding to then. Um, and she's challenging some of the stereotypes, I guess, when it comes to the adult entertainment industry. And she advocates for the empowerment of online performers who are using online platforms such as OnlyFans. Okay, Bex, shall we go and chat with Michelle? Let's do it. Cool. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Uh, hey, Michelle, how are you, how are you going? Yeah, fantastic. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, thanks for coming on the show. I just, I, I got, the first question I want to ask is kind of directly to the point, but what made mm. you want to become an adult performer? And, and like when you were younger or before you decided to do it, what, was it something that you aspired to or is it something that you kind of more fell into? Yes, both, all. <laughs> um, so when I was young, I watched, I don't know if you'd have seen it, but the movie Gypsy about the burlesque performer, Gypsy Rose Lee. And I was just like, oh my gosh, those costumes are so cool. And like, they're performing on stage and it, like it's really cool and sexy. Um, and so, yeah, that was probably my main, I guess, idea of what it was like. <laughs> The reality is totally different to the glitz and glam of Hollywood. But um, then when I was 18, I saw, and this is going to show how old I am, in the paper, um, in the classifieds, there was like, you know, models wanted, dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign, make like, you know, heaps of money. Um, so I, I applied for a job and got it and was 18 and... You know, all like, oh my goodness, this is so cool. I've been working at Hungry Jack's, Burger King, same thing. Um, and yeah, it was it was pretty cool. But yeah, I don't really, I just sort of fell into it, I guess. Because I went, oh yeah, I have the right parts for that. I could do that. <laughs> Why not? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And like many performers kind of have their own thing that makes them unique or their point of difference from others. Um, what is that for you? And, and did you know what that was going to be from the start? Or has that something that's developed as you've gone along? Definitely developed as I've gone along. You know, like when you're new at any job, you're sort of just 
I guess trying to copy what others are doing to see, you know, like try and get it right. Um, and then once you sort of know what you're doing, you can sort of branch out. And I definitely go for more of a comedy style in my performances. It is a lot easier to be funny than it is to be sexy. Um, and like being serious, it's not really for me. Um, I'd rather make everyone have a laugh and then they can think back and go, yeah, that was fun rather than trying to be really serious and sultry and they look back and, you know, they're like, oh yeah, it was, it was sultry and serious, I, you know. Did you, so I saw that you've also got like a few, um, like, um, I saw like Batman something and like Superman superhero stuff. Yeah. Like, did you, how did you get into that? Was it sort of like a suggestion from, from people or were you just like, ah, oh, you know, stuff that I'm going to, you know, have it do, go down that route? I mean, do you know what I mean? Like... So, I'm Marvel, not DC, and I have booked an expensive photo shoot, because um, those photos, yeah, Batman and the Joker. Uh, my Joker, yeah. I left my bag of outfits at home, and that's what the photographer had. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. <laughs> um, so that's how those photos happen, but genuinely... Um, I also have Star Wars and Star Trek stuff up, and that is me. But those particular photos were literally, I left my bag of clothes at home and I had driven all the way to her house and paid like $600 for the day. Um, and she was like, here, I have this, throw it on. And I was like, cool. <laughs> but yeah, they turned out really well, those photos. She's amazing. Yeah, I mean, so speaking about like going to a photo shoot and stuff, what does a typical mm. day look like? Like, um... You know, talking about your sort of inspiration and stuff for, you yeah. know, that kind of costume. But, like, I mean, um, you know, wake up in the morning, you know, have a, you know, grab a cup of coffee. It's like, yeah. hmm, what am I going to do today? Like, you know, w what does that sort of process look like for, for you? For a shoot day, it really, really, it varies. Um, so the last shoot day I did was actually at my house because I have some health issues and I have another friend who also has similar health issues. So it's really good to be able to self shoot as well. And um, so we set up the lounge room, we set up multiple backdrops and had breaks for lying down and lots of like hydrating beverages and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it is full on. It's you wake up, but the, the shooting is maybe 2% of the work. Mm. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's the stuff. At almost at the end right well i mean like there's a whole process of going through that but when you're planning with um you know other people or, or even just sort of daydreaming at night mm -hmm. or something like that like you're going through a whole process there as well right yeah well a lot of it is when you watch stuff on tv or netflix or a movie and you're like oh my god that's so cool i want to do that so you say that doing those photo shoots makes up 2% of what you do. What's the other 98% look like? Being present for the community. It's talking to people online, posting, replying. 98% of the job is being there and being available. I got a kind of a random question. Um, did you, when you first started doing this, did you have to like warm into it? Like... I mean, when you, I don't know, like, I'm not going to get to doing details, I guess, but like, you start off in one place and then you kind of like get more comfortable and then it goes to another place. And then it, do you know what I mean? Like, you, mm. I, I imagine for a lot of performers, it's not like just like you just jump off the deep end 
and are doing yeah, some yeah. kind of crazy stuff like takes time i guess absolutely yes like some people obviously are just they're just made to just jump in and do everything straight away i personally didn't start really doing stuff on the internet because i had that whole like oh it's permanent idea um and times have changed a lot you know it doesn't it, it might be permanent but it's totally normalized now it's pretty destigmatized um but it was when i got sick and couldn't work a manual job anymore that i went you know what i i'm never gonna be a school teacher i'm never gonna be a police officer why shouldn't i just put it out there on the internet what's holding was that me scary? back um was that was that a scary moment for i you? did i mean yeah. No, it was the opposite. It was liberating. It was sort of a case, like, you know, you, I don't know if I can say the word, but you hit the fuck it button. Um, and you're like, just, why didn't I do this years ago? But, yeah, no, it was absolutely just good. It was good. It was, <laughs> it was life good. choice. It was great. <laughs> What's been one of the most surprising or unexpected things for you about being an adult performer? Um, how normal everyone is, even things that like are totally out there, like everything you can think of, like rule 34 of the internet, if you can think it up, it's out there as porn, but the people are just normal people. Like they might be into stuff you've never even heard of, but at the end of the day, they're just a normal person with a normal job and yeah, it's, it's interesting. Other 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 clients, quote unquote, normal. I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah. there's a lot of, okay, there's a, there's a huge yeah. amount of stigma around this, right? Mm. So, yeah. I mean, we, I don't know. There might be some sort of narrative about some sweaty sweaty guy. I don't know, rolling <laughs> around in KFC in his beard or something. I, I don't yeah. know. You know what I mean? And, and no, that's what I expected too. Um, but like, I've gotten to know some fantastic people through it, and they're all just normal people. Like. That's who consumes porn on the internet. Everyone. It's just everyone. Um, and it's, it's weirdly wholesome. And I think it's because people are, like, opening up without, like, in a way that you probably couldn't with people you know in real life. Um, and so it becomes oddly wholesome because you know stuff mm. about each other that you don't tell people in life. Um, yeah. So, like, in yeah. a way, it's, it's actually normalising vulnerability with one another. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, validating things that shouldn't be considered weird hmm. but are yeah what parts of your job do you love and what parts do you not like so much i love being online and meeting people and getting to know them and you know like all of that sort of stuff i hate editing <laughs> i hate yeah. editing mike i'm sure I'm... we'll agree with you <laughs> yeah. on that i gotta do that i do that <laughs> It's uh, not fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, I can't be objective about it. Like, if I can get to a point where I can pay someone to do my editing, it'd be great because I cannot stand. Like, it's hard. Like, you listen to yourself. You're your worst critic mm. and you notice everything that's wrong. And so I just, like, whiz through the editing and um, just post it. <laughs> it's just not a great way to do it <laughs> can, I, can i ask a little bit about that so um yeah my in a, in a not so formal one well, pretty recent actually life i was a, a, a commercial director for like televisions and stuff like that and i think yeah. speaking about like performance and all that sort of jazz like um you know how to put it like 
do you do warm-ups and stuff do you do you know what i mean like how do you do that whole process and also like as a as a sort of performer and and being your own critique uh sorry the, the strongest uh critic of your own work mm. um like how do you kind of get over that mm. so any photo shoot the first 15 minutes of photos are generally all completely unusable because it takes a while for you to sort of relax and and your face muscles sort of look a bit tensed and you're overthinking um, it's sort of the same on on video but because i live stream it it's not so apparent like the first 15 minutes you're waiting for people to join you and you're saying hi to people so it's not so bad um now what was the second part of that question how do you how do you <laughs> so, kind of get over your your like just being uh, i mean like, how do you how do you become comfortable about that basically you just don't have much of a choice if you're going to put yourself out there especially live you've got to just sort of not care about your awkwardness and just go with it and just be like you know sometimes it's awkward and sometimes you you're gonna sneeze and there's gonna be boogers live on the internet or you're gonna fall over and sprain your ankle live on the internet you're gonna fall off the bed and and it's gonna be out there and it's just part of it uh, uh, okay all right so we <laughs> Speaking about two different, two very different things. On the one hand, you've got like very sort of um, thoughtful, not thoughtful, like pre-thought out, I guess, like photo shoots where you would have some sort of like shoot plan with your photographer, mm. all this sort of jazz, right? And then on the other hand, live stuff. Mm. So um, my understanding is that you've done some OnlyFans stuff. Um, and then obviously we'll talk about um, Come Rockets later on. But like they're totally different things, right? And And... Yeah. Do you have a preferred sort of method, I guess, or interaction with your fans or just way of performing? Um, I think my preferred way when I'm live is to not overly plan it and just be a bit raw. Um, just interact and feed off like if someone comes into the chat room and they're talking about something, we just sort of snowball from there. Whereas, yeah, the, the shoots and all that, it's it's planned. You've got outfits and themes and this and that. So it's total polar, polar opposites. Absolutely. How yeah. many people on average would attend one of your lives? Um, Anywhere probably between 60 in the room at one time to the most I think I've gotten was about 260 a lot of viewing a lot. at one point. There's a lot of people. Like, I mean, oh, it, gosh, that, I can imagine the on pressure, mine, you know? Of... <laughs> when I did the Come Rocket one, yeah. uh, the the first Come Rocket model um, interview, I think we had f like 5,000 viewers or something. Wow. We were so nervous. I was shaking. My friend was shaking. Like, <laughs> our voices are quivering the whole time. Wow. Yeah. So you do it sometimes with a friend or with someone else and then sometimes you're on your own? I was hosting their their interviews wow. on Twitch. So I was, I was interviewing the models that were doing NFTs with Come Rocket. Mm. Oh, we'll, we'll come back to that. We definitely will. <laughs> I want to kind of go back to the point you made about being your own worst and having your own worst inner critic. Mm. And I wonder with this kind of industry, whether you feel pressure to look a certain way or for your body to look a certain way. Mm. And if you've ever felt like you have to make changes to your appearance. 
So basically, back when I first started, I was working in strip clubs in Melbourne, and they did have rules about what your body should look like and what sort of size you should be and are you wearing fake tan, you have to wear fake tan. And I was put on what they called fat watch a bit. Now, I was a size 8 to 10. Wait, so you were a size 8 to 10 and you were put on fat watch. And what did being put on fat watch entail? It meant that you had to lose weight or you were going to get, like, not get fired because they can't do that legally, but you're going to suddenly not have any shifts. Um, So that was a thing. And now, working for myself, I can be any size I like Yeah. because I work for myself and... At the end of the day, if people are buying it, people like every body type. We're human. We like other humans. Um, and, and unfortunately, there are parts of the industry that are sort of stuck in the 80s or 90s and seem to think that there's only one type of person that's attractive. Totally not true. <laughs> Completely not true. Um, but, yeah, so nowadays I feel zero pressure to look any particular way. But when I was younger, yeah, yeah there were definitely controls yeah and I mean you say when you were younger but in reality it wasn't that long ago oh it's still happening there I just refuse to work in those kinds of places now yeah it's definitely still happening yeah and that kind of links to another question I had which is around the empowerment of women um in this Mm. industry and you've kind of touched not there but like some some people you know advocate for adult performing um, as being a way of empowering women and others feel like it still adds to the stigma of women being seen as objects. What is your view on this? And I guess this might be different, like you've said, whether you're working for yourself or if you're working for someone else. But, yeah, what are your views on that? When it comes to the industry, um, it's... Any job you have can be empowering, it can be horrible, it could be, it's it's a job. And at the end of the day, it's, it's the same. It's the same. Like I could work at McDonald's and find it super empowering that I'm feeding people or I'm interacting with humans and making their day better. Maybe I like that I get to give their kids treats. Um, you know, like it's a reward thing that maybe you find that empowering. Maybe you find it absolutely horrible working at mcdonald's because you're adding to obesity like it's the same in any industry you're going to have different perspectives on your work and different reasons why you're doing the work like some people might be working because they need money that's the only reason they show up to work that's most people um other people might work because they really enjoy that work so some people will have a nine to five job and then they do adult work on the weekends because they enjoy it or because they have goals that they want to achieve. Um, Some of them do it because they want to perform and it's a really good way of being in control of what you're performing. But yeah, like it's, it's just a job. That's all it is. It can be empowering if you make it that. Mm. Are there many men that are doing similar work to what you're doing? It's a growing, it's the fastest growing part of the adult industry. Um, the queer male part is already the largest part, but um, the men for women part is the fastest growing because women have more disposable income than ever. Um, and so now they're more likely to go out and hire hire someone for the night or, you know, get a bit of content. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's grown and it's cool to see. I'm loving just, just seeing that 
the everyone else being up like it doesn't have to just be cis women and like trans men are also becoming way more popular in online content and trans women have been for a while but not in now it's becoming less like fetishized and more mainstream like it's super cool it's super cool from an outside perspective it's just sort of you speaking about your work as a um working in a strip a strip club and mm. then going through and sort of transitioning into places like OnlyFans and Come Rocket. It's like yeah. moving from, I mean, it's not pornography in that sense, but I mean, you are, like you said before, like much more sort of dictated by other people's, um, I don't know, views about how, how you should be or whatever. Like, mm. have, I guess, like having that empower, like being empowering is like a really cool thing. But I guess, do you have an opinion on other sort of, um, may, more mainstream pornography, like if that makes any sense? I think if it doesn't adapt to what is happening in the industry, it's a dying breed. So the biggest thing in the industry at the moment is accessibility to like individual content, like actually having a connection with the performer and being able to have content that's exactly how you like it and all of that. So some of the big companies are starting to go down that road because they're saying, oh, hang on, we can't just cookie cutter this and then charge $100 because there's someone down the road who's charging the same amount, but it's one-on-one. -on -one. The person has input into what they're seeing um, and it's real people. It's not like some, you know, like terribly, <laughs> some people are into terrible acting, but it's not some terribly acted like <laughs> cookie cutter porn scene. Do you think that's um, do you think that's it? Like it's it's the authenticity or something? Like that's yeah, what's, yeah. that's what's it's making personal it... connection. Hmm. That's the biggest thing in the industry right now. It's like, yeah, sexuality and getting your rocks off is great, but what people really crave is human connection. Hmm. And I think that's something that's missing from the mainstream porn industry. Hmm. And yeah. that, like you say, it's cookie cutter. And and, mm -hmm. and people aren't even really portrayed as being humans, whereas mm -hmm. with with what's happening it's... now in the industry, there is that human connection, and there's more to it than um, just the pure sex element of it. Because sex isn't just sex. It's not what it's like in real life. It's not just the however many <laughs> however many minutes it takes you. Um, there's the before. There's the after. There's like the lead up. There's you know, like you're interacting with the person. Not very many people want to do sex stuff with someone that they have, like, no connection with. Like, yeah, okay, it might help you finish, but it's not going to, in the long run, it's it's not going to keep working. Can you, are there any, like, major negatives from, from doing more of this sort of directly personal work i don't know because maybe um, you have like a fan who's just like a little bit too much of a fan i don't know if that's even a thing or um because you put yourself out there so much there you i don't know there's less of a shield i guess perhaps i don't know it's very individual with performance so yes there are definitely people out there that they can either get too emotionally involved and it's like quite bad emotionally for them um and also there are performers who potentially share too many personal details and then those two things combine and it can get dangerous 
Um, and so there are many performers who will have a completely separate persona for when they're online and they don't give out even like, you know, which state or which country they're in, um, just to be safe. I give out quite a lot of not details about myself, but like I'm quite raw and I'm quite open about, you know, my interests, my hobbies, who I am as a person. I'm just me. Um, but like that said, I'm not giving out my home address on the internet. Um, and I haven't had, I've had fantastic people that I've gotten to know and they're very close friends now, but yeah, haven't, haven't had a. Would you, okay, this is kind of a random question, <laughs> but like if some, or have you heard of, or would you be open to, like, let's say, for example, you had a fan that you just really, really got along with and blah, 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 mm. blah, blah. Would you ever, you know? cross that line and let's say for example they said hey let's go grab a a cocktail or something i don't know and <laughs> would you ever, would you ever go there so there's actually a netflix episode about that <laughs> um and it's uh it, it really encapsulates it perfectly which is that the fan that you have is their emotions are towards the part of you that they're seeing online now that's not all of the reality so the odds are it wouldn't work out anyway because the part of you that they know is the part that they've fantasized about it's a fantasy in their head and they're going to be disappointed i don't know all of them it's the same as dating long distance through an app like the odds of it actually working would be pretty low because you're only seeing each other for what maybe an hour a day while talking to other people at the same time. I just, yeah. they'd be wholly disappointed in what I'm actually <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, okay. That's a good answer. <laughs> yeah, great. How do your partners um, feel about the work that you do? Like, How does it impact on your own intimate relationships? Um, for me, it's been really easy because I'm polyamorous. So jealousy isn't really an issue. Um, I'm only dating one person, but he is dating two and a half people. One of them's occasional. But basically, I see my online relationships as relationships they're online relationships with with all the fans to varying levels but yeah it, it wouldn't affect any relationship i would have because i couldn't date anyone who wasn't open-minded enough to accept that they're not going to have all of my time and all of my attention hmm. but polyamory sort of like lends to that anyway so yeah it just hasn't really come up and what about your friends and your family? Do they know about your job? And and I, I well, let's say I assume that some of them know. Like, what was it like when they found out? Well, I remember when I was a kid, like when I left high school, was there was a woman who mm. who did that sort of stuff, and some people said some some interesting things about that. Like, what was what was your sort of experience around that? Well, I mean, my my sister used to be like a bit of a rad femme, so she didn't get it for a while. She gets it now because I explained it, and because she had learnt certain things through university that you know it's all very exploitative blah blah blah. the women are being exploited and i sort of went 
you know, I've been doing it for a couple of years and I really don't feel exploited. I feel like it's a mutually agreed, consensual, you know, I'm giving services. They're agreeing to give a certain amount of money for, for the services, whatever. Mm. Um, and so she came around. My friends, my friends think my stories at parties are a little wild and out there. A lot of my friends do similar work, but this year I did a horticulture course at TAFE and I think it was two weeks in when someone asked what my job was. <laughs> we were all just sitting around and I'm like, I do porn. Because <laughs> I'm not wearing makeup, I'm in like, you know, I'm in tradie gear, high vis, boots on, the steel caps. And she sort of starts laughing and one of the other girls overheard and she's laughing too. And then the one sitting next to me goes, nah, she does. And they're like, <laughs> and the one sitting next to me goes, yep, dark horse, she does. <laughs> I'll bet you anything she does porn. <laughs> I, I guess and I actually. Sorry, no, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I saw them for lunch today uh, and, and now they asked about it. So I was showing hmm. them the website and they're like, how's it going? But yeah, they think it's hilarious. Hmm. I guess, yeah, so lo loads of different sort of um, reactions, eh? And I mean, I guess we're not, yeah. it's not 1940s sort of yeah, weird, you know. I live in a pretty progressive city, so I mean there are parts of the world where you wouldn't just go you wouldn't just go telling people that. Mm. But it's a pretty progressive city and the world has changed a lot, you know? Twenty years ago I don't think you could have said that at a school. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, like what you're doing, it's kind of shifting some of those like views, like what you've said and those assumptions mm. that we hold. Um, you know, when you just say porn or pornography people's minds do go to that and some of those yeah. kind of, you know, because the industry itself can be fraught with some of those unethical practices and people just think about that and they don't think yeah. about what it's like to be an adult performer who, where it's your own business, you're, you're like, you're providing a service, um, hundred yeah. percent consent, you're doing it on your own terms. And so to be able to like provide a different view to people, in itself, yep. I think, can be empowering for them and for their beliefs oh, and yeah. ideas. That's why, if I'm being serious, I say I'm an adult entertainer, an adult online online content creator, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, for shock value, shock tactics. Yeah, shock value. Porn. Love it. I do porn. <laughs> um, or amateur mattress actress. <laughs> <laughs> so you put on your, like, on your, uh, on your business card. <laughs> yeah. Um, random question, but uh, where do you see... Um, porn and, and the adult industry hitting in the next sort of few years? I think it's it's pretty on the way there. It's decentralising. It's going away from studios. It's going further towards it being just real people, everyday people being supported by other everyday people um, and, and just further down that road. And I think further and further away from the celebrity sort of pull because um, I don't know it's just it's not it's not as glitzy and glammy as it used to be I think in general people sort of are valuing other people and connections with other people more especially in the last couple of years since we had the pandemic and we've all been a bit isolated and we mm. want to we want reality yeah very true eh? Yeah. yeah. What advice would you give to someone who is maybe thinking of exploring getting into adult entertainment? What's a, a way for them to um, get into it and where can they find like support in that? 
I have a lot of people who come to me and say that. I think anyone who's vocally out as an adult performer does. Um, it's it's a lot of fun, and I think there are so many places you can start. Like you just want to research, decide if how far out there you're willing to be. So. One of my best friends, the one that was over the other day, she wears masks because she's not ready to to have her face all over the internet. Um, and she doesn't get naked. She just takes, like, raunchy selfies, which is where I started as well. Um, and then you just, just do what's comfortable, only ever do what's comfortable. And if someone asks you for something and you're like, oh, I don't know, well, then you price it at a point where you're like, yeah, <laughs> I'd do that for that. <laughs> um, and if it's something you never want to do, don't. Just just don't. There's no no need to do more than you're willing. You don't even need to get naked to make money in the industry. Mm. Like there's so many parts of the industry that don't involve nudity or don't involve genitals. Like the human sexuality is not just genitals mm. and yeah. But, yeah, I think it's a fantastic thing to dabble in. I think that's really good advice as well, just for people to do what they feel comfortable with and knowing mm. themselves and knowing what their own boundaries are. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And being able to say no. Um, oh, and if you don't want people you know to see it, do not put it on the internet <laughs> because sooner or later someone will see it. It's going to get out. Yeah. And it's that permanent thing of it yeah. always being out there floating around on the internet yeah 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 so michelle um great chat uh we'll, we'll be coming back um next episode but in, in the meantime mm-hmm. where can we find some of your um some of your work all of my new stuff all of what i'm creating at the moment and i'm super passionate about can be found on the come rocket marketplace awesome cool so that's like a really good little segue into into next week i think next episode next episode yeah okay so everything's on come rocket so they they just go to the come rocket's website and they search for michelle hart yep and i'm totally cool with being permanently on the internet (laughs) (laughs) epic oh thank you so much michelle and we can't wait for next week's episode we dig more into come rockets come rockets (laughs) yeah so Mike, first thoughts? Were there any burning questions you had for Michelle that you couldn't ask or you didn't ask? Yeah, there are actually quite a few. Um, I, uh, but I mean, this is like a family show. Just say it. Well, I, 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 I just, I, I, I know, know what you're thinking. I'm, I'm curious. Like, I don't know. I, I'm like. What kind of things does she do? And like, uh, do you know? creep? No. I know. Yes, yes, I am a creep, but I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't subscribe to any of these things. I don't know what like a. She said at some point she chat, she chatted with like like sixty people at the same time. Yes, on a live talking about what, doing what. Doing I don't, what? I don't know what those things are. Maybe some fans out there of our podcast, <laughs> are also, our only fans, <laughs> <laughs> can tell us what these guys get up to. But I actually don't know. Like just small things like that. Those are the things I didn't get around to asking, um, and I do regret that. But 
there were so many things that she gave us an insight into. One of the things that I found particularly interesting was like the everydayness of it all. Like I just found that kind of cool and and I don't know, like it wasn't some sleazy thing. And she alluded to it as well. Mm. So that was pretty cool. Um, Bex, before we chatted with um, Michelle, you were talking about sort of the differences between like OnlyFans and these sort of platforms and sort of traditional pornography. Mm. Um, what do you have? Any, has has your have your cho- uh, thoughts changed on that at all? I think actually she solidified my my thoughts and beliefs around that. Like talking to Michelle really sounds like this is something she loves. She's super passionate about it. Um, this is her career and. She feels like it's actually, like you are just saying, it normalizes expressing our sexuality. It normalizes um, porn in a way that's more, I guess, like real and authentic. Like she's a human and her clients know that she's a human on the other side of that webcam or whatever it is. Um, So I think that when we talk about porn, we think about porn, often our mind goes to like Pornhub and, you know, other mainstream pornography sites and and I do see these things as quite different. I still do feel that the mainstream porn industry is harmful. And I think I mentioned this to you recently. I said something like, the world would be a better place without porn. And when I'm saying that, I'm not, I shouldn't really say porn. I should say like the mainstream porn industry, which hurts people, exploits people. Um, it's fraught with issues like child pornography, um, et cetera, et cetera. So this really solidifies for me that adult entertainment, things like OnlyFans, Cum Rockets, whatever, um, is a lot more empowering and a lot less harmful than the mainstream porn industry. Wow, there's a lot in that. Two questions. Firstly, I mean, do you think it's ever possible for there not to be a mainstream pornography industry? That's the first question. And what would you say to people, and there are a lot of people who say this, that pornography is intrinsically objectifying women well let's just look at that whole thing like that's actually what it is and so you might have people who feel empowered but like ultimately at the end of the day some people believe that that's what i mean like what those are two pretty loaded questions in on themselves but have at it there good questions mike um okay question number one there will always be a porn industry because there will always be demand for it um But if we start moving to these platforms, like Michelle feels confident that this is where the industry is heading in the future, I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing for the porn industry, um, for people who are in it, and for consumers as well. And to answer your second question about whether the porn industry intrinsically objectifies women, um, I mean, yeah, of course it does, absolutely. But women and men are objectified everywhere in society it's not just the porn industry that does that um so can people be objectified while others are empowered at the same time yeah they can i think it comes down to the person who's using their body to um make or provide these kind of services if they feel comfortable if they feel like they're in control and they're enjoying it then i think that's empowering to them even though simultaneously someone is objectifying them does that make sense it totally does like I, yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. Like if you're going to say that, it, um, you know, all porn is ob- like intrinsically objectifying of, of people and that might be the case. Like, so what? It's not like a yay or nay, black or white type it's thing. It's not black or white. And 
and like you know you walk out the door and there are people being objectified every day she talked about it to a more sort of like abstract level but you know like people go to mcdonald's they use your their bodies righty righty right i mean like you're right the moment that you turn on the, the television the, the moment that you turn the media all around us is objectifying people all the time it's just like levels or scales or, or whatever like layers of I don't know, layers of gray like elements of gray or whatever that is shades of gray here we go got there but yeah yeah i mean i'm not saying it's okay that we still do this in society it's not okay to ever see anyone as an object any human as an object because that dehumanizes us and it takes away value from us but that's a whole nother conversation um in itself in fact it's one that we are going to have on the pod around the different ways that we view women and men including in the workplace um so that is a whole wider conversation we need to have about how do we treat women how do we see women um where do we see their value what michelle is doing I think for her and for other women who enjoy it is empowering. Yeah. <clears throat> That's interesting because I was actually thinking a lot about the old, I, so I had a, I, my old podcast, I keep talking to it feels like every second week now, but um, I had a couple of episodes where I chatted with a, an ex sex worker and this, I put this question to her. I said, like some people say that sex work is empowering. And she said, no, 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 bullshit. Like, it's, it's just not. Um, I would suggest people go and listen to it. But basically what she said was like the very nature of what they're doing, like the absolute core. I mean, some people are going to get it. Like some people do, you know, come out of it well off. She said not, there's not that many, but like most of the people who go into that line of work are there because of like, you know, reasons. They're not they're just for the fun of it they've got other issues going on and the idea of empowering people through sex work is actually just she just said she flatly denies that so it's quite interesting to see sort of the difference between people who um are working you know for themselves in a safe space like only only fans or or whatever come rockets and like a sex worker I, i don't know it's it's two quite different things again these are again like these are all quite yeah, different they're, they're, issues, all, aren't they? they're all quite different um whether we're talking about the mainstream porn industry sex work or prostitution and then again online um adult entertainment and i think even in the sex work space you'd probably still get those who say no i find it empowering there's never going to be an agreement on that um but i guess one of the main differences that comes to my mind mike in talking about that is that um sex work you're you're using your body and you're having sex with people that you don't know. And with that comes um, that you're having to submit a level of power and control over to another person. Yeah, but the same thing applies to on, on OnlyFans. The big difference is that there's this sort of shield b- between you and that person. I mean, not like when she said there was, a, I don't know how many hundreds of people who were chatting, she would have known a few of them and, and had some sort of relationship with a few of them, but not all of them. And she's still using her body totally get that i think the difference is that she can stop at any time Mm. there's more consent in that process whereas if you're in the full throes of having sex with a stranger there is a lot less power that you have in that moment i don't know i don't i i mean i i i agree with that to a point but i think the reason why it's safer is actually not because of yeah, I mean, you can just flip your lid down and then you're out of it. But like, it's it's just you're in your own element without somebody coming into it. I That's what I'm saying. There's so much going. Yeah, 
the dynamic is quite different um you know and she it was actually quite interesting um that sort of like that's that the shield the person on the old pod would insist and wouldn't allow nothing would go forward without that person the other person the client wearing a condom doesn't matter what was going on and that's like a level of safety that they need in order to like move forward and stuff it's super interesting this sort of stuff eh? like, I think it's, it's nuanced right it's not black and white that's what we're saying <clears throat> um power control consent these ideas are complex to say the least um mike question for you so something that michelle said was that everyone uses porn you know let's not deny it um but she said something like that the difference between watching porn as a kind of passive consumer um and what she does is that porn sets up like unrealistic expectations around sex and body image blah 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 whereas what she does is quite i guess authentic and there's more of like a human connection element to it what were your views on that i think this this was really really fascinating she talked about the person we said uh would you i, I asked her would you ever go with go out with somebody who was a a client, client. A, yeah and she said no because what they know is the fantasy of me so you've kind of got le- again levels of like mm-hmm. um what do you call it like authenticity there is like this level of authenticity that she gives you as a client because she's there talking to you and she is like laughing with you and she's doing this and she's creating that real connection but she's still she's still performing and we all do to some degree or another right like when you first meet i mean this is i mean again like it's nothing's black or white but i found that really fascinating what she said because she's a performer it is her job but again it is it is I think that what you said before is like the difference between like being pa- passive or active. That's the big difference because mm. the performance, the level of performance is always going to be there, whether whether it's like cranked up to 11 and things are being weird on screen or whatnot, or you're just sitting there sort of, you know, like in your undies talking to some guy on chat or something. But like that connectivity that they have with the client is like something that makes things quite different. Yeah, um, I have another question to ask you. But before that, you reminded me of something I really loved about um, what she said around that being real and authentic is when we were talking about body image. And she was saying that, you know, she's learned to love her body and she's realized that her clients love her body because it's real. It's a real human, unlike the fake, um, what did she say, cookie cutter bodies that you Mm -hmm. see in in normal and mainstream porn. Um, And something that disgusted me was when she alluded back to when she did work for strip clubs and at one point i don't know if it was her or a friend of hers that was put on fat watch Mm. where um they wanted her to lose weight because she was quote unquote too fat and it's these kind of conceptions that we do have about the porn industry but what she's able to do is um have control over her body and say to people actually this is a real body um, we come in all shapes and sizes, and I think that's bloody cool. Um, but anyway, Mike, this is a question I wanted to ask Michelle, but I forgot, so I'm going to ask you because okay, you're cool. the next best thing. Do you think that we have a problem with pornography in society? Oh, that's a really <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm going to say, and this is just my opinion, it's just, I mean, I am X amount of years old. Da, 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 da. How old are you, Mike? Yeah. You just had a birthday recently. I did, yeah. Mm. Um, but this is from my own experience, and, and I think um, maybe Michelle's perspective on it, on it would be different. I think your perspective on it might be different as well. Again, I don't know, but my, my personal thing is that I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be a kid growing up with like screens around you and access to all of the world's most crazy stuff with a few swipes on your phone. When I was a kid. Back in my day. Yeah. And there'll be a lot of people, sorry, there'll be a lot of people who are, who can I did? Who will understand this? But it was like you know magazines under the tree out of the park. Like it, that was gross. I know, but that was is that a... where you hide them in Nelson <laughs> yes. under the trees? Yeah, that's what, yeah. But when you go down to Nelson over March, just don't go in any trees. I'm in the park. definitely not. <laughs> but it was it was it was different. I think it was different, and you know I. We had, you know, the conversations around the pornography and stuff when you're going through high school and, and even before that. But I think it was different. I think it's every, it's all there now. I think expectations around sex are very different. And this is only what I can tell. But And so is there a problem with pornography in society? I would say probably if I were to make a guess, I'd probably say yes because it's just, I don't know. It's all around us. And I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Um, when I think about the kind of access that children have to everything that's or on the web. Any, every, everybody. Everybody, but particularly those who are like impressionable yeah. and try to copy things without having the, the context and the, the, the wisdom. Um, yeah, I, I think it's perhaps not so much porn itself, but the fact that it's so accessible to yeah to everyone, but especially to those you know, who are so young, like we have five-year-olds sitting there on their tablets. Um, in fact, you know, in another life, when I was a social worker, I, I have actually found it on devices that children were on. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's the access that's a problem. I think, you know, what is a problem? I think something becomes problematic when we can't live without it, or when it starts interfering in our daily life and our functioning in our routines and for some people pornography can do that and I think on an individual level that's when it can become a problem um societal level I think we do need to look at um some some legislation and policies around access to porn and certain porn sites okay let's just let's just look at this really quickly before we bail off how <clears throat> how do you legislate <laughs> for like Porn. So much for the five-minute debrief. Know, right. Get real. Uh, um, I I know that the Green Party have um, started an inquiry into the impact of pornography on society and looking at some legislation around certain websites like Pornhub. Mm. Um, I actually don't know how it would work in practice. I think something that I read was an idea where, and I think this might already be happening in the UK, we to sign up to a website, you get a phone call. Ah, have like, you heard about that? No, but to, that makes to, sense. Um, to confirm your age and identity and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so making it a lot harder for kids, I guess, 
to yeah. access porn. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's a lot better than what we've got. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's interesting. So that's something, and and I would support that. Um. Bex, that's part one. That's part one. What is part two all about, Mike? Ah, cummies. Cummies. Um, actually, before we go, how are your cummies? Oh my Saturday? god, don't ask. <laughs> don't even go there. They've tanked, dude. They've tanked. Yeah, well, it's really interesting. We actually asked her, um, Michelle, a direct question around around cummies and cum rockets and all this sort of jazz, and it's this perfect intersection between adult and adult sort of performance and performance generally and crypto space and nfts and stuff like that so super fascinating and um part two is awesome yep so make sure you join us for part two until then 